years of ministry. I'm walking to the pulpit with McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, what's your name again, brother? George. George of the Jungle just brought me some. I watch this. I was joking with him on Sunday that every Sunday night when I was on staff at my church, every Sunday night I would go on my way home from church. I, I lived about six minutes away from the church. And every Sunday night I would get a medium fry and three chocolate chip cookies. Amen. And I don't know what condition the fries are going to be in after the service, but these cookies are... Yeah. <laughs> These cookies are going to be a willing sacrifice offered unto me, but thank you so much, Brother George. That is awesome, and uh, I, I'm, I'm usually careful about a lot of times what I'll say. Uh, I'm careful always about what I say in the pulpit, and uh, I have said some doozies, though, and uh, I, <laughs> I was talking about my aunt's funeral that I preached, and that's it. I don't know if I told you this part of it. I blended two words that should not have been blended together, and I'll not say what they are because I don't want to cuss in the pulpit. <laughs> But I, <laughs> I cussed when I was preaching, let's just say that, and uh, it was a mess, and it was about 700 people at the funeral there, and it was pa- I mean, packed out. We had, to, we had to rent my cousin's mega church just so all of us could fit into the building, and uh, I said that word, and I said, and then I just went forward. I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I didn't say it. I thought I caught it, and I could tell everybody in the church went, <gasps> And they're all like, Andy, you got to know my family. It was like, it was more, it was more, it was more less than shocked than it was, we all want to laugh right now at the same time. And because uh, the preacher just cussed in church. And so they all went, <laughs> and they all held. I said, finally, I had to stop. I said, listen, folks, I know what you think. I said, I did not just cuss in church. And when I said that, everybody just fell out laughing. And um, several of them got saved through that. And because <laughs> several of them, that's only how you speak their language. All right. But, uh, I, one time I was in a church and I was in, matter of fact, I was in the church of the man, we were talking about America in Crimson Red. It's basically the, the history of the Baptist in America. And it was written by the fellow named uh, Jim Beller, Dr. Jim Beller. And he went home to be with the Lord probably 10, 15 years ago now. And, uh, but his, some of his family still in the church there, his, his wife, I think, and then their son and his family. And, but I was invited to preach a youth conference there on a Saturday and then I preached all day Sunday. Well, Sunday night, you know, I was in one of those, I know, you know, certain people don't believe in laughing in church, and, and uh, if you, if that's you, I apologize, and uh, you're going to get, by the way, the Bible says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and I uh, just want to throw that out there, but anyways, uh, I, I, I was in Memphis one, oh, I shouldn't have said the city, and uh, I was in Tennessee somewhere, no, I was in, I was in Memphis one time, and uh, not at the church we were talking about, but another church, we were singing it, and I was, I was, we did a concert Sunday afternoon, my quartet, and we, I mean, it was, it was great, and I, we tell a lot of jokes at that time, and different things like that, and I told, I had told, like, two mother-in-law jokes, and this fella was, like, genuine, he came up to me, and he said, he said, <clears throat> humor has no place in the house of God. You know, when they get real spiritual, they don't say God, it's God. <laughs> That's, that's how you measure your spirituality. The closer you get to God, the more spiritual you are. And uh, I thought he was joking with me at first. And I was like, okay. And he, he was, he's like, no, I, I'm being serious. We cannot joke in the house of God. And I said, you don't think God has a sense of humor? And he's like, well, I don't. I said, have you ever looked in the mirror? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, <laughs> Anyway, so we, we were here and we, 
so I'm in this church, Jim, Dr. Beller's church, and we're talking about, you know, this is a great church, historic, you know, and uh, he, wrote, he wrote one book called The Spirit of St. Louis, and uh, have to deal with that, and, and then he wrote this other book, American Crimson Red, it was all the history, I mentioned the Sandy Creek Baptist Revival uh, that gave birth to even, we were, went to the museum of the Baptist History Museum this afternoon, and uh, got to see our sister back here, and, and uh, it, Sandy Creek even influenced that, and some of the guys that came out of there were ordained at the Sandy Creek Baptist Church and through that revival that happened. And this is a historic place, so, but it was one of those Sunday nights where I was just like on a roll, like cracking jokes. And it's just certain, I'm not, a, I'm not a natural joke memorizer. I don't, you know, do a, the whole routine, some preachers. But I, just, I was just, it was just a fun, one funny thing after another, after another, after another. And so I went over there, and there was this fella sitting on the second row over here. And he played the accordion, actually, for church. They don't have a pianist in their church. They have a 12-string guitar, the former pastor's son, 12-string guitar, and then they have uh, some other instruments, some brass instruments, and then they have an accordion, in the, it, and it worked. I don't know how, but it worked somehow. And, and so it was an exciting service, and that was great. And, but that guy who played the accordion was sitting right about where you are right now. And I, was, I mean, it was laugh, joke after joke after joke, and I was just, and I was still preaching, but everything, for some reason it was just funny, you know. It was like a story about David and Goliath, but it was just funny stuff about the story. And so I went over there, and usually, you know, you go like that, and somebody does that, right? But this guy, and he was a, he, I knew he was a jokester already, too, because I had talked to him the day before, and then I talked to him before church service that night. And so I went like that, and he just, he just looked at me. And it was just like, he's smiling, he's like, he thought it was the funniest thing ever that he wasn't fist bumping me. <laughs> and I'm like, you stinging jerk, you know? And uh, well, I look over here, and the pastor and the youth pastor, they thought it was funnier than everybody else in the church. So they are literally falling out of their chair laughing. And I'm like, this guy's a jerk. These guys are bigger jerks for laughing at me in church. And, and he's going on and on and I'm sitting over here and I'm making another joke. And, and his wife leans over to him and she kind of like elbows him like, stop, leave, leave the preacher alone. You know, give the guy some knuckles. So I did it again. And I went like this. And he, instead of doing that, he stuck his hand out like to shake my hand. I was like, and then finally I shook his hand. I was like, jerk. And uh, so we went on in the service. After the service, the pastor and the youth pastor came over to me again, and they're still like hysterically laughing. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? They were like, you just tried to fist bump a blind man. <laughs> I had completely forgot that they told me before the service that he was absolute, he could see a little bit of light around the corner, but he was legally blind and could not even see my hand out there. So when his wife did like this, she was telling him that, hey, he's trying to fist bump you or shake your hand, he thought. Oh, my goodness. So if you think you've done some dumb things in the pulpit, I've done some dumb things, including trying to fist bump a blind man. And, uh, but, uh, but listen, let me thank you for having me in the church this week. And... Uh, I hope and pray that something that I would have said or preached was a blessing to you. Uh, listen, it's not about me or you. It's about the word of God. And, and I, I try to pride myself on being a preacher, and I, that's not the right word to use, but to be a preacher of the word of God. If the word of God says it, I'm sticking with it. And if the word of God doesn't say it, good luck. <laughs> and uh, and uh, there's certain things we do. You know, the Bible doesn't say pass a plate, but you know what? The Bible does say give your offerings. And so the principle's still in the Bible, so guess what? I'm still going to give when I go to church. The Bible didn't tell me on what day to get baptized, but I know this, they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And as soon as it was possible, for many of them, they didn't get immediately baptized, but as soon as possible, if they wanted to be obedient to the Lord, they just obeyed the Lord. They knew it was biblical to do. And by the way, it wasn't part of their salvation. Everybody with me? Baptism was never a part of anybody's salvation. I heard a, I heard a, uh, saw a video recently, and, and I love it, because I've been saying it for years, but it was just something I could share with everybody else. It said, you know, how does your theology on salvation, how does a thief on the cross fit with your theology? He was never baptized. He never spoke in tongues. He never even went to church. He didn't turn over a new leaf. Listen, he didn't become a preacher. He didn't knock on doors and be a faithful witness. The only thing he did was say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The only thing he did was Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He, the only thing he did was Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's what he said. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He was admitting he was a sinner, that he could not save himself and who Jesus was, and he asked the Lord to take him and give him eternal life someday. The Bible says, listen, that one thief went to hell, one was in paradise with Jesus that day, he said. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to know and be a part of the family of God and to, be, to have a book. Aren't you glad God gave us a book? And there's some today that are pulling up the anchor of the Bible, and specifically the King James Bible. And I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've been around Independent Baptist churches for 30 years. And let me tell you, when you pull up the anchor from the Bible, you don't just go to one Bible version. You go to about 10. Because they no longer have an anchor anymore. But see, this book is so, I love it. We sing it at our, our church, and I think it's in your book. What chart can you trust as a guide for your soul? When tempest would strand you on some treacherous shoal, what compass will guide you to heaven's bright goal? God's wonderful book, divine. And if you are wondering of what book I mean, it's the one that the old-time revivals did bring. It's the only one authorized by a king, God's wonderful book, divine. I love the old Bible, precious old Bible, the light on my pathway to shine. I love the old Bible, the precious old Bible, God's wonderful book, divine. I love the word of God. That one songwriter put it this way. He said, this blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's a solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it. Now it keeps me from sin. When I think what it costs just to hold in my hand, it reminds me that I owe a great debt to all of the martyrs who would go to the stake and quote it with their dying breath. Now, critics are many and believers are few, but there's one thing I found to be true. If you find when you read it that there's something wrong, then there's something wrong with you. We ought to be thankful for the... I remember being a new Christian and hearing that song, There's a dear and precious book. And remember that my mother's Bible, I think it was called. Blessed book, precious book. You got to thank God you got a Bible. And that's what we're going to preach tonight. We're going to preach the Bible to us. And uh, that's what does the work. The Bible says the word of God, it's quick and powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints of the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's not a human being, rarely a human being on this planet that can discern the difference between soul and spirit. Now, we act like we can, don't we? But where does one end and where does one begin? We don't know, except the word of God can discern it. I love how Paul said to Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto the salvation. And then he said this, he said, 
I almost said it in Greek. I almost said posagraphe theanustas. He said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He told us preachers, he said, I want you to preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And we you've dealt with these verses the other day, but the word of God, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Oh, I love that verse. And I could quote, I could quote 30, 40 verses out of Psalm 119 tonight. I won't do it because we'll be here till 12 o'clock midnight. But watch this. The Bible says, Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servants loveth it. My heart standeth in awe of thy word. What's your attitude like towards the word of God tonight? Well, let's check on it. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I love what, uh, what was her name? Oh, Helen Keller. Helen Keller, uh, of course, the miracle worker. Many have seen that old film and about her life. She was deaf and she was mute. But here's what she said about the Bible. They taught her how to read the Bible, and they taught her how to read Braille. Here's what she said. She said, I love the word of God. It is the only way out of the darkness. I can't remember if it was President, I know President uh, George Washington said this, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. I believe it was John Quincy Adams who said this. He said, I make it a habit of reading my Bible every day, and I wonder why men deprive themselves of such treasures. And we can go time after time and quote after quote, and we can talk about yesterday, the other day we were, we were going around, and there's a fellow buried in that cemetery, I don't remember the name of it, Hollywood Cemetery there, and if you've not been there, you got to go. And, uh, that's weird, isn't it, preacher? Go to the cemetery right over there. There's a, there's a fellow buried in there, pastor pointed him out to me, his name is Matthew Morey. I've taught about him for years decades now since I was a Christian school teacher in Bible class we talked about the scientific accuracy of the Bible Matthew Morey was reading Psalm chapter 8 and verse number 8 and here's what he discovered just by reading the Bible he said the Bible says there are paths to the sea and he began to work uh, with I believe it was a French naval institution as well and they began to discover ocean currents and he cut travel in one-tenth of the time because he said the Bible says there are paths to the sea. Did you know today Exxon Valdez, the, the huge mobile conglomerate, did you know they used to be called Standard Oil? Many of us older people, we remember Standard Oil, amen? And I said, old people. See, no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and uh, he's, he's like, I'm not denying it. <laughs> uh, but it, they used to be called Standard Oil Company. Do you know how Standard Oil became a billion-dollar industry? One of their executives one day was reading the Bible, and he read Exodus chapter 2. And he said, Moses' mother, when she made that little ark of bulrushes, she pitched it within and without with pitch. He said, pitch is an oil-based product. And I believe if we go over there to the Middle East and we dig again, we're going to find petroleum. It's a petroleum-based product. And sure enough, Standard Oil Company went over there and began to contract land and became a multi-billion and now a trillion-dollar corporation because somebody read the Bible. Mm, what do you know? Hebrews chapter 11. We better get into this message. The Bible's going to get in our way. Hebrews chapter 11. Before the service, there's so many messages that I have that are in that Bible right there, and I was transferring it. I'm like, my notes are all in that Bible, but that's the broke down Bible, and so we'll, we'll see what the Lord has for us tonight. Let's stand together as we read the scriptures. 
I was thanking y'all for having me here. Thank you, Pastor, by the way. And, and I know it's always a risk bringing somebody in that you've never, I mean, we, I, I get nervous when, when, when I come to a church like this because, you know, I'm at the airport and we've never seen each other. And I'm like, first of all, does he know I'm chocolate? No, but uh, no. And, uh, I assumed he had looked me up, you know. To, yeah, he, he was like, oh no, honey. And, uh, but he, he was, can I? Okay, Lord told me to tell you this. And uh, all growing up, I'd hear preachers say, how can you tell Adam was not black? You ever hear this? I mean, all these preachers, and most of them I heard, I, I didn't really hear a black preacher until I was a teenager. But I, I, these, these white preachers, they would say, how can you tell Adam was not black? And then they'd say, have you ever tried to take a rib from a black man? <laughs> That's what they said. While that might be true, I start studying the Bible, and I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I could prove that he was black. I can 100% prove that Adam was black because the Lord had to knock him out to take his rib. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> he caused the deep sleep to come up. All right. Anyways, but, uh, but no, thank you. Uh, Pastor had not met me, and I appreciate that. It's always a risk bringing in somebody. You don't know if they're a crazy preacher like me and, uh, or what you're going to get, but I appreciate that. And, and uh, I think a couple friends recommended me. Um, but uh, listen, I, I don't come in here pretending to be anything other than trying to be a servant of God this week. And it's been a pleasure to serve with you and everyone that's done a little part of anything. Thank you for your service for the Lord. All of you that have sung, you've been a blessing to me, including your family. And uh, you've been a blessing to me, Brother Boots, even leading the singing. I love it. And uh, all of you that have just shaken my hand and just greeted me in the Lord and fellowship with me and uh, all those different things, you have been a blessing. And you showed up to church. I didn't have to preach to the chairs. That's awesome. No, it's been a blessing to meet you folks. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go, in, go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as, a strange, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Goes on to talk about Sarah and a few other things here and uh, jump down to verse uh, number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. We are persuade and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, mm, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom was said that in Isaac shall thou thy seed be called according that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him a like figure. In the rest of the chapter, of course, it goes on to mention many other people. Before this time, we mentioned Noah and, and a lot of other folks that by faith they did. But I want us to focus in on that, on that man referred to in James chapter 2 as 
the friend of God. The friend of God. And while we're not going to turn to that passage, I, I've often wondered in my mind, what made him a friend of God? I mean, think about that phrase. Nobody else did God ever call his friend other than Abraham. And there were some close people to God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. He is the only man that in a sinless state ever walked with God. Every other man from Adam, from behind Adam, they all had to deal with this flesh that you and I have to deal with. But Adam, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day in a perfect environment, in an endemic state, in Eden state. And, and the Bible never said that God called him his friend. You look at a type of the church, Enoch, by the way, who was raptured out before judgment ever came. God always does that. That's why we're pre-millennial, pre-tribulational. God always takes his people out before judgment comes. And by the way, he didn't just take them out the second before wrath came. He took them out way before that. And listen to me today, and that's not what I'm here to preach about tonight, uh, but I just want to put some emphasis right there because it's, it's, it's creeping back into our independent Baptist churches. And, uh, and I've got some friends. I just preached for, for a fellow the first time ever. That was a mid-trip pre-wrath man. And I was like, oh, God bless you. Let me finish my tacos, and then I'm leaving. No, but uh, <laughs> Enoch, the Bible says he walked with God, and God loved it so much that he's like, fellow come up. It's like Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard the voice sound that it was of a voice, uh, the voice as it were the sound of a trumpet talking to me saying come up hither. By the way, the end of chapter 3 he's knocking at the door of the church. The church doesn't open the door to him. He stops knocking on the door of the church. He raptures them out. The church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation. Again, pointing to when he's going to rapture the church out. But he never called Enoch his friend. He let Elijah call down fire from the sky. Nobody ever did it again. But he never called him his friend. Moses, my servant. He let Moses, I believe God let Moses, have a seat. I believe God let Moses see his face. You say, how do you know that? Watch this. Do you remember when Moses, in, in Exodus, first time he said, God, can I see your face? <laughs> this, as a bus kid, this phrase always was like hilarious to me. God said, I'm not going to let you see my face, Moses. I'm going to let you see my hinder parts. Translate that one for me. I want to see a new translation of that. And, uh, never mind. But uh, God told you can see my hinder, you can see my backside, but you can't see my face. Because if I ever show you my face, the Bible said, no man has seen God at any time. God said, listen, I'll, I'll let you see. He, he said, I, I'll put you under my shadow. You can see my hinder parts. He said, but you're not going to see my face. But if you were to look tonight in Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, the Bible says when Moses went up there on Mount Nebo, the Bible said, though, he was 120, 120, 125. Some of you Bible scholars, you know that. 120 years old. And the Bible says his, his strength was, had not waned from him. He was absolutely healthy. But when he went up on that mountain with God and God showed him over into Canaan land, the Bible says he took him and he was not. You say, what do you believe happened? I believe this happened. 
I believe God finally said, Moses, you can't see Canaan land, but you're going to see my face. And Moses died. And Michael, the archangel, went over there to bury him. Because remember, he disputed with the body of Moses, with Satan over the body of Moses, according to Jude. And he said, the Lord rebuked thee. God himself went down there and buried Moses. I heard a preacher one time preach a message called, What if God preached your funeral? Mm. I'm just saying, you can come to whatever conclusion you want to, but I believe, but still God never said to Moses, you're my friend. He called him Moses, my servant. Listen, and the only person that came, comes even close to it is Judas. Judas. Jesus called Judas his friend when he put the kiss of betrayal on him, but nobody does a father ever call his friend except for Abraham. What made Abraham the friend of God? Father, I pray that you help me tonight from the Holy Scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, me, Lord, to empty me of self. Lord, I stand where the arm of flesh 100% will fail me. Like we sang last night, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. And I pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and do a work in the people of God that would help us in the work of God. Lord, I pray that we would be different, not just we had our ears tickled, not just we had a good sermon, not just what we enjoyed, Brother Allen, but Lord, may there be a move of God in our midst that we would walk differently than what we did when we walked in here. We'll give you honor and praise and glory for anything that you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, years ago, I, we discovered that, you know, I, I discovered, you know, I, I could be dynamic and I could give these big illustrations. And, and sometimes I'll use a physical illustration as well. But there's some of these fellas, I mean, they're hyper emotion and they get people riled up and, and uh, they walk out of there, oh, that was a great service ever. And I say, what was the service about? I have no idea. I feel like I'm finding these days, I've got certain messages of mine that people walk out of the building and they, they just got to chew on it for a little while. And they just, they just kind of chew on it for a couple of days. And I've, I've had folks call me. I've had, well, I, had a, I was in Canada preaching about four, six weeks ago. I was up in Canada preaching and, and uh, I can't remember what I was preaching. matter of fact, I preached on toiling all night and catching nothing out of the book of John. I just preached it at a conference out east. And the pastor who was there uh, at their church a few years ago, I was preaching a revival there, and I preached, I preached what I thought was a dud of a message. I'm talking about a dud of a message. And I was preaching there, and, and I, I told the men Monday morning when I got up, I said, God wants to do something tonight. I said, help me not to get in the way. I said, you guys need to pray. All throughout the day, we were praying and praying and praying and praying. And I got there and preached that night, and I preached on Samson, how he went out and knew not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. And I, we, we gave the invitation that night, and it was a church of about 150 people. About seven or eight people walked the aisle, and that was it. And I'm like, dear Lord, I preached a dud. Maybe I had some sin in my life. Maybe I was, you know, I don't know what was going on. Maybe I preached the wrong message. And I was like, Lord, I knew you wanted to do something special, but I, got, I messed it up. We went to our room that night, and we got, we got, uh, got dressed for bed, and all of a sudden the phone rang, and my room, my, my bass singer and piano player Jake, he said, yes, he's right here. And I'm thinking, who's calling me in Canada at a hotel? It was the pastor. He said, my son wants to come and see you. And I was like, okay. Or my son wants to talk to you. And I thought, okay, put him on the phone. And he said, no, he wants to talk to you in person. I'm like, okay, great. I'm doing chapel in the morning at 8, eight or 9 o'clock. And I said, he said, no, he wants to talk to you now. 
And I'm like, okay, do you want me to go to your house or do you want to send him here? And he said, I'll send him there. He's on his way. He came to my hotel room. I'll make a long story short. He was one of those kids that he made a decision. He went to mom and dad's bedroom when he was four or five years old and prayed some little prayer and because uh, he knew he didn't want to go to hell. And so he was sincere in what he did, but there was no connection made with the Holy Spirit of God and with the word of God. He just knew he needed to do something. And so he prayed a little prayer to ease his own conscience. And by the way, you say, you say well, what about that? Listen, you know, you know that both thieves prayed to be saved on the cross? One of them said, though, if thou be the son of God, save us and thyself. But one just said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. They both prayed to be saved. Only one was saved, though. Because only one came to him with a heart of repentance saying, listen, I'm going to hell. I know it. I, he said, we deserve to be here and all this. And I believe you are who you say you are. And I want you to take me to heaven. I want, you to, I want to be in paradise with you when you come into your kingdom. And he got saved. Well, Austin didn't get saved. Matter of fact, he just graduated with a master's degree last night from Bible college. And, uh, but he came in, and, and long story short, he after about 35 minutes of just going scripture to scripture to scripture to scripture to scripture, I could have, by the way, I could have convinced him he was saved. But I just gave him scripture, and at the end of it, I just said, well, what do you think about that? And he said, well, according to that scripture, I need to be saved. And I said, well, let's, let's get it settled. And I said, you don't need me. You know how to talk to God, don't you? I said, call on him. And he began to call. And they're not very emotional people. And he, he just, like a little baby, just wept his way to Jesus Christ. It set off a domino effect. Hello? It set off a domino effect. People, he got saved about 12.45 a.m. in our hotel room. The next morning, I came to preach chapel. The girl that he was interested in, they're kind of sweet on each other. They weren't dating, but kind of sweet on each other in the school. She had called her dad to come pick her up. She went home and got saved. After chapel, one little boy came up to us, and he, we said, what do you want? And he said it just like this. I came to get saved. <laughs> we went to the office, led him to Christ. We were walking out of the door from talking to him. Another boy came up behind us with tears streaming down his face and said, I need to get saved. Four. We got to church that night, and Austin gave his testimony. And all of a sudden, while he's giving his testimony, one little one native boy, he gets up over here, says something, the youth pastor walks out of the hallway. He went out and got saved. Ten minutes later, he came back into the side door of the church. The pastor stopped. We were singing. He, the pastor stopped us after that song. He said, hold up before you sing another one. He said, come tell him what happened to you. And, and he came out with the youth pastor. And this 15-year-old boy said, I saved. Fifteen of his relatives were over here. They started, they started praising God and weeping. His mom was over there. Grandma was over there. And they got, and for, for almost an hour, people would walk out, get saved. While we were singing, we'd stop singing. They'd come back in, give their testimony of salvation, and we'd sing another song. For nearly an hour, they just came in and out. We had people getting right with the Lord. We had, we had the youth pastor's wife who took the pastor's daughter out to get saved. He said, she, said, she said, I was already saved. She said, but, you know, I dealt with my salvation later. And she said, I've not even been scripturally baptized. We baptized seven of them that night. They baptized another seven Sunday morning the, the, the native boy that got saved, his mother was on her way to work the next day. She was under so much conviction. She, she called in to work, turned back around, called the pastor, and she said, I'm coming to church right now. I need to get saved. For about seven weeks. The pastor told me afterwards, he said, about 33 members were added to my church because of that one night. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. 
I was, I was preaching on it. So I, I used that message when I was out east. I preached at a conference, a large conference, and I told that message about toiling all night, and I told the story where that Canadian pastor was there. And he, this time he's like, won't you preach that message you preached out there? And so I preached, and he said, our folks have never heard your side of that story and the background of it. And so I told, I preached it that night and told the story, preached the same message. Watch this. We had a girl go home under so much conviction. She, she, she went into her bedroom. She came back out weeping, and she got a hold of her dad, and she said, Dad, you got to take me back to the church. I need to go get saved. But she didn't have to come to the church to get saved, but I'm glad she did because we were able to rejoice with her. God, listen, you'll listen to God. God will take care. All of these things that happened, these people, God did not need them, but they needed him. Now watch this. What made Abraham a friend of God? I better get into this message. Number one, he listened to the call. He listened to the call. Look at verse number eight. Abraham, when he was called into, to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he was listening to the call. I believe this is a lost art amongst God's people, just the ability to listen to the voice of God. And the problem is we have so many other voices that are vying for our attention, don't we? Many of us, uh, the television set has our attention and some philosopher in this world, and back in our day it was Oprah Winfrey and it was Dr. Phils and, and all of those people and Donna Hughes and everyone we heard the preachers preach against. And, and we, we're so distracted nowadays. Uh, back then we only had about five TV channels. Could you imagine how distracted we are? We got Christians who have hundreds. We have some that don't come Wednesday night because their favorite TV show, God help us. We wonder why we're in a mess right now. We can't even get God's people faithful to the house of God. We're so distracted by every other voice. Some of us are distracted by the voice of singers and musicians that are singing messages that are they're singing messages that are anti-scripture. They disagree with the Bible. They're about sensuality. They're about Satan worship, half of them these days. There was a day where we used to make fun of rock and roll music because it had spiritualism in it there and it had demonic oppression in there. But I'm telling you today, rap music. Music even has a spirituality to it and country music has demonic influence over it. I'm telling you today, many of us cannot listen to the call because we are listening to so many other voices in our lives. Many of us are like Rehoboam when he came into the kingship and he's, the Bible says he went to the old man and he began to seek out their voices and what are the old men saying? But the Bible says he turned away from those old men and he forsook the counsel of the aged men and he started listening to everybody else around him. Can I tell you, preacher, this is happening to fellows your age and my age. We're no longer listening to the gray-haired men or the no-haired men and we're no longer seeking out the wisdom and the, the Bible says that head, that, that hoary head that's an honor to them. We want to know what somebody else who's not lived any longer than we no more experience than we have want to say we're listening to the wrong voices is what I'm saying the Bible says listen young man uh, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than hear the songs of fools you say well the preacher I don't like how he said that listen uh, listen we're not preaching for you to like us we're preaching so that the word of God will be exalted we're preaching to help your family we're preaching to keep your kids off of dope we're preaching to keep alcohol out of our homes listen to me and all we're doing is we are echoing the voice of God you listen to the voice well, some of you are hearing voices but <laughs> take your medication and <laughs> you need to be listening to the voice of God 
my buddy and I used to be on the bus route singing. There used to be this song, I hear voices far off yonder calling me. And I think there's a, people our, a couple people on our bus route. They, they were hearing voices far off yonder. <laughs> Go to the voices. <laughs> and I'm telling you, we've become so estranged from the voice of God. We don't even recognize his movement anymore. And can I say to you, when the voice of God calls you, it's a clear voice. It's a clear voice. It's a calming voice. Your anxiety, listen to me tonight, and all of us, we can get anxious about something in our life. Listen, if there's a voices in your life that are causing you anxiety and they're causing you sleep, I mean, listen to the voice of God. The Bible said his voice brings peace. And the Bible says, my peace I give not as the world giveth. It's the way of the wicked. There is darkness. They know not what they stumble. But there is a peace with God that will pass understanding. I'm saying his voice will bring peace in your life. It will bring clarity in your life. I just don't know what to do, Brother Allen. Maybe because you've been listening to the wrong voices. Maybe there's a voice that's been calling you that you've not been listening to. I forget what missionary was, one of the great missionaries. It could have been C.T. Studd, could have been uh, Adonai Madras. I, can't, I don't remember who it was, but they were dealing with a lack of men being called into the ministry and to go to foreign fields. And he said, not called? He said, maybe it's not listening. And every youth conference I preach in and every Bible college I preach in, they are all talking to me about the same thing. Their numbers are down. And it's, it's like, where is God? did God stop calling young men to preach? Did he stop calling them to ministry? Did he stop calling ladies? No, I believe what's happening is we stopped listening at God. And we'll listen to every other voice. We'll listen to the voice of reason that says, hey, you're not going to make a lot of money. We'll listen to the voice of reason that says, hey, if you become a soul winner, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. We listen to the voices that say, hey, if you carry that Bible everywhere you go, you're going to be a laughing stock. Well, listen to me today. Abraham would made him the friend of God. And we've got a bunch of people that want to be the friend of God, but we don't want to listen to the call. But we're sure thankful for others that listen to the call, aren't we? We're sure thankful the pastor listened to the call, but don't ask me to listen to the call. We're sure thankful that God has called some other people here to work alongside him, but don't ask me to listen to the call. See, he listened to the call. Abraham, I dare to say, Abraham was already listening to God before this call ever happened. And you know who God uses young people? He uses young people that are already listening to the call. And when God starts to deal with you about something, listen, it doesn't matter. It may be a salvation call. Can I tell you, if you've missed that call, you have missed it all. And he's calling some of you, maybe even tonight, to say, hey, you need to be saved by the grace of God. You need to be born again. And that's the most important call of your life is the gospel call. But some of us, now that we've gotten the gospel call, for some of us, it's been a long time since we got any other call, isn't it? And we don't mind that gospel call, but Lord, don't call me out of my music, and don't call me out of my lifestyle, and don't call me out of, out of my career choices, and Lord, don't call me out of my comfort zone, and Lord, don't call me where... We need a generation, again, that's just going to listen to God. Can I say, some of you, the greatest thing you could ever do is shut off your radio and start listening to God. Shut off your television and start listening to God again. 
Shut out the noise of friends. Listen to me. What the Holy Spirit began to convict me several years ago because I was always playing gospel music. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I was always playing some Christian music and I was always playing some preaching. I was listening to preaching today. I love listening to preaching because I need new messages. But anyways, no, I love listening to preaching. I love listening to gospel music. But listen to me. There's some times where you just got to shut everything off. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit said to my heart, not in an audible voice, but it's like God was convicting me and say, hey, you got all this noise going on and it's wonderful. It's it's praising me. I get it. It's preaching about me. But when are you going to listen directly to me? Sometimes we get so busy listening to the servants of God that we forget that we have a direct line to him. You heard that message. I I wonder who prayed more than they prayed yesterday. I wonder who missed their appointment with God today. Because we got busy, too busy listening to the call. Abraham was a friend of God because he listened to the call. Watch this. Not only did he listen to the call, but he left his comfort. He left the comforts. Look, the Bible says he received for an inheritance. He obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Mm. That's an uncomfortable place. How'd you like... uh, God's calling you, and he says, Pastor Boots, I want you to go start a church. Okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? Well, just start walking east. Okay, can I at least drive? Yeah, you can drive. I'll let you drive. Just start driving east. Well, okay, Lord, but, you know, after a while, I'm going to hit an ocean over there. Just, Just follow me. Get close to us, he'd say, All right, now I want you to go south. Okay, but if I keep going south, there's, there's a golf down there. That's an uncomfortable place to be. And by the way, as God leads you now, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? You believe God called him to start this church? Well, where are we going to meet? Oh, walk that way uncomfortable isn't it but if we're going to be called a friend of God sometimes we got to get uncomfortable we've been t- I've been telling them a little bit about our church and sharing some miracles about what God did with this church listen don't you know that there is a God in heaven don't you know David said I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread don't you know that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee is a promise of almighty God God wants some people sometimes to get a little uncomfortable. We went into 2004 needing a new building. We were using every building in our, every room in our building, but on top of that, the building was old and dilapidated, and it was you know, half falling down in some parts. We we literally prayed that boiler on every winter. We'd get on there. I'm ser- pastor's brother-in-law would he'd hit it. He'd he try to fix it. He was a mechanic by trade, and uh, he did everything he could. And then when nothing else worked, he would rub the side of the boiler and start talking to it. Say, "Come on, Betsy, we need you one more year." We needed to get out of there. There started to be, hey, there were starting to be bullet holes in our buses. The kids couldn't even go outside to play on the playground anymore during recess. We have a Christian school. They couldn't go outside anymore because the police would be chasing people across our parking lot. They put a dead body on the back steps of our church one time. Crazy. 
And it's like, Lord, we got to get out of here. We began to seek God. And first we wanted to buy a building. And we looked at building after building after building after building. We fasted every Thursday night. We would fast as, a, as an entire church ministry. We fast, seeking God. And God would say no and no and no and no. And it got uncomfortable because then we sold our building. And then we got to stay in there 18 months rent-free. Hallelujah for free. But that 18 months came to an end. And then the church, we sold it to the developer. He flipped it and sold it to the Mormon church. And they said, well, we don't know what we're going to do, so you guys can pay us a little bit of rent for a while. And then they, they, like the Philistines, got confused and were fighting with each other for another year. And we never had to move one time. Watch this. We started, we said, let's, we, we said, okay, we're going to build the building. And then we were looking for, I don't know, I can go into a long story about this. We we're looking for property after property after property. We got shut down on this one property and pastor was like, okay, Lord, if this is you, I trust you. And then all of a sudden, as he's walking out of that meeting, after praying that prayer, a man hands him a, a, a card and says, I want to meet with you. I've got a property twice that size. And that property should have been $4 million, but God gave it to us for $385,000. Then we started building that building. We had the world's largest swimming pool. We dig the basement of that thing, and then the builder said, we're not going to build anymore until you give us more money. And the money people said, we're not going to give you more money until you build some more. And for two and a half years, our church was uncomfortable. We had, remember Google Earth? If you looked on Google Earth in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, you could see it from a satellite, that pool. It was a green 13-foot pool. Our church began to pray and fast again. We got uncomfortable. But here's what God did. God sent the Christian man, the businessman, and gave our church half a million dollars. We went from not being able to get loans. Watch, I, on, that morning, I heard on the news that nobody was getting loans. This is about 2008. I heard on the, nobody was getting loans. That day, banks started calling us. But we had to get uncomfortable. Sometimes, church, you're going to be called a friend of God. He left his comfort zone. For some of you, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I could ever talk to anybody about Jesus. If you're going to be a friend of God, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You know what I noticed about being a soul winner? It, it's, you're always nervous until you talk to somebody. Or if somebody gets saved, man, then it's like, all right, give me the world now. But that first stop is uncomfortable. And some of us, have you've never been to a soul winning or an outreach ministry because you don't want to get out of your comfort zone. But you see, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that includes this state, this city, this county. And I know it's uncomfortable. Watch this. If you're going to serve God the right way, you're going to have times of uncomfort, discomfort. Brother Allen, if, I were to, if my family were to take a stand for God, it would, yeah, it would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Brother Allen, if I changed the way that I talked and I didn't drink anymore with my friends and I didn't party anymore and if I, if I started dressing modestly, Brother Allen, oh, what problems it would cause. Listen to me tonight. It may cause a problem with the world, but it may give you the favor of Almighty God. God may say, hey, that's my friend right there. left the comfortable watch this not only did that he lodged in Canaan the Bible says by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country 
not only was God able to tell him where to go, he was able to tell him every once in a while, sit still. I want you to stay here a little while. Listen to me. I, I've learned a long time ago, being in church work for almost 20 years, and being in, being in church itself for 30 years, there's a lot of people that when God were to tell them to move, they would do it in a heartbeat. But you know, sometimes the will of God is not move. Sometimes it's sit still. You willing to let God tell you to sit still? You know, the Bible talks about the church, that God puts the church together. You know how he does that? There's a whole bunch of people that he said, I want you to sit still. Could it be that God's trying to join you to this church? I don't know if everybody in here, I, don't, I would assume everybody in here is not a member of this church. But there may be somebody in here tonight that God had me preach this message for because he's not trying to tell them to go anywhere. There may be some, and there may be some young man or young woman or even an adult that God's calling to go somewhere and to do a greater work for him. But some people, he might be saying, I want you to sit still. Because this is the preaching place. This is the place that's trying to serve God. This is the promised land. This is the place where I'm going to do a work. This is the place where I'm going to raise up a work for God and a kingdom for God. It may be tonight that somebody, to be a friend of God, they're going to have to learn to sit still. Oh, you remember that scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you got to sit still. Paul told Timothy, he said, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. Sometimes the will of God says go, and sometimes it says sit still. That's the verse my pastor, God used to keep my pastor at our church. He was the assistant pastor of the church for six and a half years as the youth pastor of the church, and then his pastor had to resign, and, and, uh, and uh, God was dealing with him about pastoring the church, and he said, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. He wanted to be the world's oldest youth pastor. That was his goal. God said, I need you to step it up. And he thought, well, I can go over here. There were several churches that had offered him the pastorate of their churches or the youth pastoring of their churches or camps. And he read his Bible one day and he said, God basically was saying, sit still, Brother Dean. Sit still. Could it be today that God is telling you to sit still? He lodged in Canaan. Watch this. He looked for a city. He looked for a city, verse number 10, he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. Now, that's not talking about heaven, right? Because we're going to get to that in a minute here, but that's not talking about heaven right now. He said, I, here's what he's basically saying, I want to find the will of God for my life. I want to find the place that God has built for me. Do you know everybody under the sound of my voice right now, do you know that God has a place for you? You say, well, I'm not called to the ministry. It doesn't matter. You know, we, we sort of we let that be a cop-out for our young people that they aren't doing it in the ministry. Oh, so you can live like a heathen and everything else because you're not called to ministry? Are you called or not to be a Christian? That somehow God only has a plan for two or three people in this room and everybody else, he said, good luck with that? Well, he's got a plan for every single one of you. I believe there's men in my church right now that are just as called to be firefighters and policemen as I am to preach the gospel. But here's the difference between them and some of us. We say things like, well, I always wanted to do this. And they say things like, man, I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and God led me. That's the difference. 
You can do some noble things, but if God's not in it, hey, I'm looking for the city of his builder and maker is God. I don't believe I don't believe I would be sinning per se. If I went to and go be a missionary to Brazil right now. But if God's not in it, I'm not going. And sometimes we do good things and sometimes we can do some things that that even Peter, Peter, they're coming to get Jesus right now. Peter takes his sword out and he chops. I don't believe he was aiming for the ear, by the way. I believe he was aiming for the head of Malchus, the high priest servant. But he ducked out of the way. Is defending Jesus good? Oh, yeah, it is. But Jesus rebuked Peter and said, put your sword away. Now's not the time. Because that's not God's will. Remember the night before, Jesus said, hey, fellas, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and of the elders, and this is what's going to happen. And Peter's like, oh, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get thee behind me. I've been called a lot of things. I've never been called Satan. Except my wife that one time, and she's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like that song in that song, we'll go over there. Once again, I face Satan this morning, and then I told him to roll over. Amen? <laughs> no, but uh, I've never been called Satan. You know why Jesus called Peter Satan? Because only Satan is trying to stop the will of God and him and going to the cross. Jesus said, no, this is God's will. This is God's will right now. And Peter, you're not going to stop it. Listen to me. God has a plan for every single person under the sound of my voice right now. I don't care what your career is, God ha- or your intentions or what your talents are. God has a plan for your life. And if you're going to be a friend of God, guess what? You're going to have to search for a city. What's your place? And by the way, if God called you here and told you to sit still, then guess what? There's some type of city around here for you. It may be a Sunday school class. It may be a men's Bible study. It may be a ladies' Bible study. It may be a prayer meeting that you're in charge of. It may be being on a building committee or on a fund, uh, 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 raising funds for the work of God. Listen to me. It may be getting, distributing Bibles. I don't know what it is, but I know this. There is a city for every one of us. What's your city? Are you seeking a city? Or are you just going to do what you want to do with your life? I'll never forget I, good, good Christian friends of mine. Well, they, I wouldn't say Christian, but they were friends of mine who went to church. And I remember telling them I was going to Bible college and serve God with my life. And here's what they said. What? They said, You're, you got so much talent? I'm like, are you kidding me? So we're going to give God the leftover doggy scraps? Only people that ought to be serving in ministry are people who can't match their clothing? God ought to get the best. By the way, I believe he ought to get the best years of your life, too. The best. I have no regrets. I've been serving God, and not anywhere near where I ought to, but I'm glad I've given God my teen years and my 20s and my 30s and now my 40s. And by the grace of God, I want to give him all of my days. Why? Because I'm looking for a city. I'm looking for a city. Watch this. He was God's friend next because 
he longed for a country. Mm. Verse number 16, he said, these guys saw the promises of God from afar off, and they did seek a country, but watch this. Now that they know the difference, he says they seek a better country now. They used to say all the time about Christians that we are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. I think these days, we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Some of you, the greatest thing you could do to experience a revival in your life, the greatest thing you could do to, to, listen, revive your Christian walk with God is to get your eyes off of this world and get your eyes on the world to come. Oh, you remember back in, they used to have the, the, the Red Book. Y'all know what the Red Book is? The old Church of God hymnal that the Baptists love, amen? And uh, I got Baptist preachers who love the church hymnal. And they're like, bless God, King James Bible, and the Church of God hymnal. You know, and I love it, by the way. You, you guys are saying song, He's My King, uh, on Sunday is in, is in there. I love that songbook. You know, most of those songs are about heaven. You know why? Most of those songs were written during World War II. You can go back through that hymnal again. The 40s. Coming out of that generation in the 50s. Most of those songs were written during that period because the, the men there said, listen, we've got to get our eyes off of what's going on down here and we've got to get our eyes on what's going on up there. There's some American Christians that I really think they think God fell off the throne. I mean, do you honestly think the work of God is dependent on who's in the White House? Is that how fickle our God is? God can't overcome who's in the White House or who controls the Senate or who controls the Supreme Court. Do you think God, God, God finally got a victory once we overturned Roe v. Wade? God was on the throne whether you overturn it or not. He was on the throne when they were giving their babies and causing them to the eye of Moloch. He was still God. He was not any less or more God based upon what happens to America. Amen. Some of us need to get our eyes off what's going on here. Some of us need to get our eyes off what's going on in Washington. Get our eyes off what's going on in Richmond or Madison, Wisconsin, and realize we seek a better country. I had this lady one time. We were on social media. And this lady, and she was complaining about what was going on. I said, listen, man. I said, I said, you know, Jesus is in control. And she said, here she said this. She said, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. Because when Jesus comes back, we're going to get our country back. <laughs> what? So, there's some Christians, I think they think he's going to, instead of the Mount of Olives, he's going to descend on the Capitol building. <laughs> you think I'm joking. I know a couple. I think they think he's going to replace the Ten Commandments with the Bill of Rights. I'm for them. But watch this. I seek a better country. But she said, oh, I can't wait till we get our country back. I said, ma'am, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but you're not getting your country back when Jesus comes back. As a matter of fact, he's not, you won't even have a vote. 
He is coming up to set a dictatorship. It will be a totalitarian. It will be a monarchy. You're not getting a vote. You won't have a democratic society anymore. You don't get your country back. What you better do is you better seek a better country. Because he's going to disband the Supreme Court. He's going to disband all parties. Did we vote on that? <laughs> Good luck with that. You better start seeking a better country. Well, it's getting rough down here. I know. And, and it's going to get worse. That's so encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to get worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Jesus isn't coming back because it's getting better. He's coming back. It's going to get a lot worse. He said, matter of fact, he said, there's going to come a day where your wives are going to turn you in. And your brothers are going to turn you in. Your mom and dad are going to turn you in for being a Christian. You're not quite there yet. I let these people all the time, it's never been as bad as it is right now. Like, have you never heard of Noah's Ark? <laughs> it's pretty bad then. He fried two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. They, 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 had, they, had, they had male, young male prostitutes in, in, in uh, is Ephesus, not Ephesus, uh, Corinth, at the temple in Corinth, the temple of Aphrodite. Perverts. Matter of fact, he said the church was so bad in Corinth, he said, you're doing stuff that's not even named amongst the world. It's never been this bad. They're not gas chambering Christians in America yet, I don't think. Any inconvenience, though, as American at all, well, oh, we're being persecuted. They're literally killing our brothers around the world. And because they're talking about our tax-exempt status, we think we're persecuted. I've seen that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. Do you know that was written by somebody from India? For a poem that they, they chopped his sons to pieces. They chopped his family to pieces. And he said this. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Somebody TPs the church parsonage and we, we're ready to throw in the towel. You, we better get our eyes on there. And some of us, listen to me tonight. Some of us need to repent of our American-centric Christianity and get back to getting our eyes on the better country. And I'm an American through and through. Listen, you, you come to my house on Memorial Day, you're going to find my driveway is lined with American flags. I love America. Listen to me. But I seek a better country. I got a better place to go. And there will not be any abortion there. You won't, you won't try to kill a baby there. There will be no crime there. There'll be no murder. Listen, I'm telling you, we got to seek a better country. And here's, here's the last point here tonight. He longed for a country. Watch this. Then he laid down his child. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He laid down his child. For some of you, this doesn't mean very much. But you understand the story, don't you? This man hasn't had a child. He's 100 years old. He's a little bit older than my brother back here. We were, talking, we were talking before church. He said, 91 years of age. He's getting around better than I do. 
91 years of age. I don't think you're planning on having any children in the next 10 years. <laughs> he said no more than two for y'all that didn't hear him. He's like that old, I'd be like that old boxer. No mas, no mas. No, but uh, watch this. 100 years. God's been promising him year after year, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. Okay. Another birthday passes. He's got so many candles on his cake, he sets off a five-alarm fire. <laughs> Puts a hole in the ozone every time they light his cake. Sarah. The Bible says you adults, she's past the time of women. Her, her ability to have children has gone. 90 years old, God's like, you're going to have a kid. And she laughs. If you're 90, you'd laugh too. <laughs> God, God, yeah, somebody said she'd be crying. Amen. You remind me of my church people. No, and, uh, 90 years old. And she, God says, you laughed, didn't you? I, I didn't laugh. If that would have been me, I would have said, yes, I laughed. You might be the ancient of days, but I'm not. I'm just ancient. 'they come up with that plan. Here we go. We're going to get Hagar in here. Isn't it amazing? God already told us what's going to happen. We've still got to come up with our plans, don't we? We always got to get our hands in the middle of something, try to figure it out. And they, she has Ishmael. And she said, hey, I want you to come in, go live with my handmaid. You're going to have a child with her. And by the way, we're still we're still 4,000 years later dealing with problems because somebody trying to act God, do like God and play God. We are dealing, the Middle East will always be in trouble going back to one man named Abraham and that little Egyptian girl named Hagar. Now watch this. But then all of a sudden one day Sarah, ooh, oh, I think I ate a, too much shawarma. My lox and bagels is acting up on me right now. That was terrible. I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, I think I got the flu. And Abraham's like, nah. And then she comes back, I got the nine-month flu. She's pregnant. She gives birth to Isaac, the promised seed. And she says, oh, this is great. Oh, this is wonderful. This is what we've been waiting on all these years. God has shined upon us. This is wonderful. And here's what she does. She says, wait a minute. Ishmael's over there. Go take him. Get rid of him. And I'm sure Abraham's like, what are you talking about? That's my son still. Uh, the Bible said, promised seed is going to be Isaac. Take Ishmael, send them packing. And Abraham, all right, gives him a little bit of food, a little bit of water, sends him into the wilderness. And 
I love it. God, there's a message in there. God heard the voice of the lad where he was and he was crying out. I'm just glad that God can still, God still had a plan for Ishmael, by the way. He still said he's going to make a great nation. Why do they have all that oil over there? Because God still had a promise to Ishmael, even though he's not Isaac. But then comes the day. God's like, okay, Abraham, I want you to give me your son Isaac. And he's like, what? I want you to sacrifice him. What? They began to walk towards Mount Moriah. Father, if you know anything about biblical geography, Mount Moriah is right in the same general vicinity as Calvary. It's that mountain range right there in the hills of Jerusalem. Isaac's got that wood on his back. And he said, Dad, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself the sacrifice. By the way, God did when he opened the womb of Sarah. He provided the sacrifice, the only begotten son of Abraham. Of course, we know the story how it ends. But Abraham, I believe he was a friend of God because he was willing to sacrifice the most precious thing to him. You ever notice this? I don't, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say he had that much of a struggle getting rid of Ishmael. Ah, here, okay, give him some food, give him some water, there you go. You know what I've learned in my life? I'm willing a lot of times to give up the Ishmaels in my life. But when it comes to those things closest to me, don't ask me to give that up. I've got kids just like many of you have. What if God calls my kid to the mission field? Let somebody else's kids go. Let Ishmael go into the wilderness. Don't let my kids go. I've heard parents say, my kids, won't, my kids aren't going to the mission field. Can I say to you, God, your kids are safer in the will of God on a foreign field than they are out of the will of God in your house. Never forget, one of my aunts, my son ain't going to the military. My son ain't going to war. He ain't going to the military. He's walking down the street in Chicago Heights, Illinois, and he gets shot. Same guy, he didn't go to the military and get shot. He might have paid his bills and, you know, gave him a purple heart, but hey, Got shot by some punks over here. That was awesome. But that's how we play the will of God, don't we? Oh, don't take those, don't take the closest things to me. Don't ask me to change anything in my life. Oh, don't ask me to part with my money. Oh, I can't tithe and give to church. Don't you know? Some of you are like, take my kids, give my money. What if God asks you for the dearest thing? See, that song I sang tonight, When I Lay My Isaac Down, I heard it at a camp. First time I was at a men's camp. I mean, God just mm, put that song in my heart. And I was dealing with some things in my own heart and spirit, and God said, you need to take care of that bitterness and other things that were going on in my heart at the time. And and then I kind of started, I was like, man, I need to learn that song. I preach a lot of youth conferences. I'd, I'd love to learn that song. Watch this. 
started learning it. Right about that time, God began to deal with me about evangelism. And I'm like, oh, no. But see, I was already traveling. I was, even as a staff member of my church, I was already preaching and singing other places. I was traveling a little bit here and there, but I always had the home base and my safety and my comfort zone back here. And I was like, Lord, I'm good. We're already doing that. What's going on? And God began to put out my heart. So I went to my pastor and I said, okay, preacher. I said, I think God might be trying to get me to be an evangelist. So I said this. I said, let's not tell anybody. Let's just you and I pray. And I'm telling you, I walked out of his office that day and the phone started ringing. And for a year, I was gone at least once or twice a month. Every month. It was crazy. I never told anybody. I never said I'm available. It just call after call after call. And then came the time where I, everywhere I would go, they would say, Brother Allen, have you thought about being an evangelist? They didn't know I was praying. I had, I had our church maintenance man. He's not spooky whatsoever. I came back home and I said, man, it's good to be back home. He was outside watering the flowers at the church. And I said, man, it's good to be back home in the church. And he said, he said, yeah, you're going to be gone a lot more. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're going to be an evangelist. And I'm like, what? I said, I said, well, if God opens the door, you know, he had no idea I was praying already. One of my adult Sunday school members, I, I said, man, it's good to be back today. And she said, oh, no. She said, you're, you're going to be evangelist. I, I can see it. You're going to be evangelist. Everywhere I went for like two months, everybody was saying that. And finally, I told my wife one night, I said, I think God has already given pastor peace about me leaving. And I just need to go in his office and talk to him. I told him and one of the men knew that I was praying. So God was just all over me. So I went to the piano at our church before I went to talk to pastor. I went to the piano and I sat down. I began to sing, Abraham prayed for the day God would give him a son. Blessed Isaac was his name. I went to the first verse and chorus. And then I got to the second verse. Most of us, I dare to say, we've got an Isaac in God's way. On the altar you will prove it's you and Isaac or it's God and you stopped and I just began to weep and weep and weep I got off of the piano bench I got on the altar that day and I laid my Isaac down you see my Isaac was Faith Baptist Church all the comfort security I got saved there baptized there, graduated from a Christian school there. I'd been on staff for over a decade. I was in that church. I taught the bus kids on Saturday, the adults on Sunday. I led the choir, played for special music, taught in the school, led the soul winning meetings and discipleship programs, all of it. And God said, I want it all. Want to know why Abraham was a friend of God? 
For some of us, listen, and I know it sounds so petty, but for some of you in this room, your music is going to stand between you and being all that God wanted you to be. So how do you know that? Because that's where I was. You know, one of the last things I laid down was my music. Oh, what am I going to listen to? God's like, there's a better country. God, you want me to dress a little different? Listen, once you lay it down, you realize how petty it is. Once you lay it down and once you say, listen, if God wants me to sit here and be a member of this church, once you lay it down, you're going to be like, oh, why did I wait so long to lay my Isaac down? Abraham, a friend of God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder tonight, we talked about that gospel call. I wonder tonight, if you were to die right now, if, you, if the rapture were to happen right now, would you be 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven? If you can right now go back in your mind to the place you trusted Christ and him alone to save you, would you testify that by a raised hand? I remember where I got saved. I know I'm saved. I'm not saved because I'm baptized. I'm not saved because I spoke in tongues. I'm not saved because I joined a church. I'm saved because I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. You may put your hands down. I wonder tonight if there's anybody in the room who said, Brother Alan, would you pray for me? I have never made that decision, but I need to. Would you pray for me tonight? If that's you, would you testify that by slipping your hand up? Brother Allen, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you pray for me? I need to get saved. Raise my hand. Okay? Then by your admission, everybody in this room is saved. I hope you are. If you're not, get a hold of me after the service. Get a hold of the pastor. We'd be glad to show you how to get saved. But listen to me. If everybody in this room is saved... And the Lord put this message on my heart. I was not planning on preaching on this. I was going to preach on the church. I was going to preach out of Philippians chapter 4, my favorite book of the entire Bible. But the Lord said, I want you to talk about this. And God used you picking that song. And I think there's somebody in this room today that needs to listen to the call, look for a city, lodge in the Canaanites. Some of you just need to sit still and say, oh, God, I'm done. I'm done running from you. Or, oh, God, I'm going to run to you. And there may be some that need to get our eyes focused off this earth. You're so anxious. You're so depressed. Turn off Fox News, CNN. Turn off every one of them. Get that book out and get your prayer closet and get your eyes back on heaven. And you tonight need to walk in the aisle and declare, God, I'm done. I'm taking my eyes off of the world. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. And there's some of you that need to lay some things down at this altar. Maybe some of you need to lay some bitterness down you've been holding for years. For years, you've been angry with somebody, and maybe it's a mother, maybe it's a father, maybe it's, listen, maybe it's somebody who sinned against you. Lay it down tonight, and God will give you, listen, he'll, you'll walk down here with your bitterness, and you can walk away with peace. You can come down here with a rebellious spirit, you can lay it down, and you can walk out knowing the peace of God that you want to do his will for your life. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, I'm going to invite you to this old-fashioned altar. Would you stand with me all over the room tonight as she begins to play, as she's preparing to play a song of invitation here?